This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about technology that affects all of us in a format that allows you to consume it in the time it takes to go to and from the grocery store. I'm your host, Lou Covey, and I probably know more about it than you do. And if I don't, I know someone who does. But first... Thank you for joining us today. I'm Joe Basquez here with Lou Covey on Crucial Tech. Hello. And how are you today? It's been a wild week, as it usually is whenever I go to Black Hat. Yeah, you. so you've been spending the week at Black Hat virtually. Did you learn anything new? I learn something new every time I, I read about this stuff in, in cybersecurity. And Black Hat is interesting because they've got a lot of good stuff. But uh, it's also very scary. <laughs> Tell me what you learned. Okay. Well, um, first of all, let's let's talk about the positive stuff. Okay. Uh, there was a a presentation. Uh, well, actually, it was a, a a symposium of analysts from Omdia. Uh, the keynote uh, for this symposium was uh, Maxine Holt, who's in charge of the cybersecurity division for the for the company. And I wrote a story about that that came out uh, earlier this week. Um, about her keynote, about how bad it's really gotten. Uh, but one of her analysts, Kurt Franklin, who addressed an issue that you've brought up several times in the past, that cybersecurity is just too hard for the normal person for them to even care. Yes. They, they don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, they're not going to do it. And this guy was talking about how companies need to turn their users, or in other words, their employees, into allies. And normally the way they do that is by punishing the employees. Uh, you know, they, they, will, they will isolate them uh, by assigning blame. So, oh, you screwed up because you didn't follow basic procedure. Okay. Right. So you're saying like if they click on a link to malware or something in a, in a junk email, uh, they're made to feel, you know, ashamed. Right. And, and the thing is, he says, that's not working. That, that doesn't work in corporations uh, to get employees to actually do things properly. So yeah, what he kept saying is, is to use persuasion over punishment and don't assign blame, but make the, the example obvious that, you know, if everyone is doing this correctly, then we're not going to have these problems. And, and to create awareness of, uh, cybersecurity over berating them into making them do it. Cause you know, that's just like with kids, you know, when you keep beating up a kid and telling him he's not doing the right thing. Well, if you're going to keep berating me, I'm just not going to listen to you. Well, the idea is, is, is to make them aware about simply about really how easy it is. You know, it's not a matter of putting a lot of technology into or understanding uh, how this stuff works. But just showing if you did, you, if you made a decent uh, password, if uh, you didn't click on every link that comes in that's, that, that talks to you about saving money or something, it, it's a great way of starting to make things better. You don't eliminate it altogether, but you start reducing the, uh, the places for people to go. For, for, for criminals to, to attack. And that's one of the other things that came out of this. All the speakers that I listened to said, said essentially the same thing. With cyber criminals, they want the easiest, most profitable path to get to. And I, I wrote about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, no, it was, it was just this week as well in that uh, uh, 
cyber criminal gangs are actually developing their own venture capital units. And they will go and pitch an idea of how of somebody they want to attack. And they will take a look at uh, how good their uh, um, uh, cybersecurity is, uh, how many uh, vectors, attack vectors they have, uh, how much work is going to have to go into it. And they will tell the criminals, no, we're not going to fund this because it's not, there's not enough uh, upside to it. So they're actually forcing criminals to look for the low-hanging fruit. That is that just just stop. I think people need to think about that for a minute. That is actual insanity to me. Uh, I know that the last time you and I and Patrick talked, we talked about you know ransomware and things as a business and how it wasn't difficult to do and the payoff is pretty easy to get to in terms of the time and money you have to spend so you don't need to go after big business or have lots of big numbers. But this is actually a business. This, is, this isn't just somebody, you know, uh, coming up with an idea of who can we get. This is someone who sits down and they come up with an actual business plan and find funding. And I'm assuming that funding comes from other criminal organizations. Uh, and, and it's an actual business as any other legitimate business would be. Exactly. And uh, a matter of fact, uh, one of the sessions that I'm going to be writing about next couple of weeks, I don't know if I'm going to get to it next week or not. Uh, it was actually a session about um, a ransomware for fun and profit. <laughs> he actually talks about how lazy hackers are, how they go through the process of installing ransomware and, and, and what they're looking for is a way to minimize risk, which is what a business does. That's why these, these groups like uh, uh, Revel that attacked uh, Kaseya, that is, uh, where they went after uh, just this one company and were able to infect hundreds of companies. Uh, well, the, the whole point of that was is that they, just, they determined that it was going to be very easy to do this. But Revel didn't do it themselves. What they do is they put together essentially a kit and they, they sell it to subscribers. And the subscribers in turn go after them. Now, the thing is Revel is the one that becomes uh, the, the ground zero. So authorities can identify who they are as long as they remain public. And right after Kaseya hit, Revel went dark. They disappeared from, from the dark web from everywhere. You couldn't find them anywhere. And that was because of how, how much heat there was on it. And so, as long as there's somebody else who's going to take uh, take the risk, and, uh, so that the hackers themselves don't have to, then there's why why wouldn't they want to do this? It's sure. so easy. And the sure. thing is, uh, the, these these uh, syndicates they do all the hard work. They they actually create the technology, which takes a long time. They do they do the beta testing. They they essentially do all the marketing. They find the companies that have the biggest holes okay and they put this all into the kit and say have at it <laughs> so so that's a really important point though and something that I, I, as you say i've been talking about a lot i've been thinking about a lot is there are a lot of links in this chain and all of the links need to be good but that's not necessarily true right your chain just has to be better than the guy next to you if they're that lazy and really looking for the low-hanging fruit yep that's an important thing to think about because Maybe it's not so overwhelming for people if they think of it in that term, in those terms. That was the talk from Matt Tate, the chief operating officer at Carillium. One of the things he was pointing out was that 
the possibility of you of an individual getting hacked is very low, especially when we're talking about zero day hackers. Now, let, let, let me ex explain the concept of zero day hacking. Zero day hacking is the essentially the first time that a particular vulnerability has been exploited. The vulnerabilities are available free everywhere. And the reason they're free is that you've got cybersecurity research companies, also known as white hat or ethical hackers. Th their job is to actually go, at, go into a, a network and find vulnerabilities, and they get paid to do this. But one of the ways that they do it, uh, or, or they market themselves, is they will just choose a target and see if they can break into it. And then they'll put out a press release. You know, first of all, they'll let the, the target co uh, company know about it. And if that company decides to pay them for this information, well, they don't say anything. But if the company declines the offer, well, they put it into a press release and put it out there. And what that does is it tells the, the cyber criminals where to look. Yeah. So they're not doing anything illegal. They're just promoting their business, but at the same time, it actually makes it easier for somebody to hack you. Now, the thing is, if you don't have that particular vulnerability, you're safe. You know, that's interesting because uh, if I describe to you what you just described to me, mm -hmm. you called, someone called themselves a white hat hacker, but I found a vulnerability in your system. And I told you, pay me and I'll tell you what it is. Don't pay me and I will put it out there publicly. Uh, you may call yourself white hat all you want, but that sounds very, very similar to every other organization out there. Yeah, it's yeah, you know, but but you know that 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 happens. And it's not just in cybersecurity. Companies do that all you know, market themselves that way all the time. Sure, sure. But the thing is, is that if you get caught. You're going to go to jail for a very long time, but if only if get, they can find you. Say, say that again. If you get caught as as one of the white hat groups, or no? no if well, I mean, it, yeah, actually, if you, uh, there's actually or just a, a, bill just in, a hacker in general. No, no, there's actually a bill in Congress right now that people are a little bit upset about because they're essentially saying any kind of uh, intrusion without permission is going to be illegal. And okay. the the re security research companies are freaking out about this because that kills their business. Sure. You know, that brings up another interesting point, though, in that where is the balance between, look, even if you were on the up and up and you didn't say to someone, you have this hole and we can show you where the hole is if you pay us, right? Even yeah. just publishing papers and say, this is the hole, you know, so, so another company could maybe publish a patch or something. Mm -hmm. There's a real balance between when do we let someone know this is there and when are we letting the wrong people know that it's there so they can exploit it? Yeah. That's a tough question. It is a tough question. And I don't know the answer. <laughs> I wish I did. If I did, I'd be very rich. Yes. <laughs> we'll work on that. Yeah. But, you know, that's the thing is that uh, in the 20 years that I've been looking at this kind of stuff, um, th there are a lot of companies that will say, okay, I will give a hacker a million dollars if they're able to break our uh, encryption. 
But the thing is, is that, you know, 20 years ago, that might have worked. But since then, there's an entire industry grown up of these white hat hackers, and it's big business. And they, they're not going to go after your, your million dollar bounty because they can make millions of dollars doing that uh, for a fee from other companies. Uh, just a, a, a few weeks ago, I interviewed a guy at a company called Ronin Pentest. Uh, uh, which is they do penetration testing. And that's, you know, that's the very first thing you can do to make sure that your network is secure is to hire somebody, essentially a white hat hacker, to come in and see if they can infiltrate your, your, your network. And the thing I liked about Ronin is that they don't do these things where they will just randomly go after a, a company and find a vulnerability and then try and uh, blackmail them into giving them money. Uh, there is so much business to be had right now that they don't have to do that. In fact, uh, uh, Ronan Pentest, uh, you know, they only launched like last year and their business is up like 10,000% uh, because they actually have an automated system for, for penetration testing. Well, they will take a look at like the, the top 10 or 15 uh, vulnerabilities that, that are out there and just test your system automatically and charge you a hundred bucks for it. What's, what's really interesting, and, and maybe I'm late to the party here, but what you're describing is a game changer in terms of ransomware and hacking, right? Yeah. We have this kind of picture in our minds of you know some lone guy or two or three guys in a basement somewhere hacking into systems. What you're saying is there's a business for both sides, protecting and hacking. These businesses essentially have investors, funders, unlimited resources, for the most part, I'm sure there are limits, but you know, and it's an all out battle to see who can stay in the lead. And that is just, it's, a, it's, it's different than what we've dealt with in the past. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it, as I've talked many times in the past is, you know, the basic, the foundational infrastructure of the internet was never made to be secure because no one ever conceived that somebody would do what they're doing. Of course, you know, that's like every other criminal uh, enterprise, you know, uh, child molesting, uh, uh, human trafficking. You know, sometimes you cannot conceive that a human being would come up with such a level of depravity to do this. And yet human being, you know, never underestimate the ability of a human being to do something really disgusting. <laughs> but that's part of the problem too. When you, when you say a statement like uh, the internet was never built to do what we're doing with it, right? That makes people think, well, if it wasn't built to do it, it really can't stop this. And people get overwhelmed and they stop trying. Yeah, but that keeps all these companies in business too. Yeah, and uh, the thing is, is that we're, we're learning from our mistakes. One of the things that, that uh, was said by Maxine Holt was that what we need is a, is a new level of cooperation. There's too much secrecy within uh, companies about what they're doing to defend themselves because you know, they're, they're, they're calling, calling it their, a competitive advantage. You know, we've run into this with every other client that you and I had when we were doing PR, uh, how they said, well, we can't get our customers to talk about what they're doing with us because they see us as a competitive advantage. Well, in this particular case, you know, that may be true, but at the same time, the problem is so bad that we need more cooperation. We need 
more people talking about this, about what their experiences are and how they've stopped these things so that we all know what we're supposed to do. And if we are, because the hacking community, they're cooperating with each other. You know, it's not just some guy in a Nigerian village who's doing this. These guys, this is, they're essentially a union. <laughs> right, right. They, they are all together and, and they are working on this stuff. And you did an entire podcast on this, uh, your last episode. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to it because I found this fascinating. I never really thought about this, but this is so true. People, companies set up their defenses and they go, I don't want to tell you what my defenses are because you'd be able to get in. But in reality, if we all shared what our defenses were, we could help cover more holes that other people might not have. It's just like brainstorming for writing or any other idea, right? The more eyeballs you have, the more brains you have working on something, the better it's going to get. And that was kind of just a groundbreaking idea to me. I hope that uh, companies will take that and run with it. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's actually evident in uh, the animal world, okay? Because when when herds of animals cooperate, everyone is protected. But what the what the uh, uh, the predators are, are doing is looking for the weakest people, the, right. the 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 ones that are the individuals that are not protected by the herd. The more people get involved in this, the more they share their ideas, the more they talk about you know, things that they do to keep themselves secure. It creates a herd immunity. The hackers are only looking for the easiest targets because they're lazy. Okay. What, what, I find, what I find most fascinating about that idea and sharing information is that when we talk about the difficulty and how many links there are, sharing information is something we could do very, very easily. And uh, there's actually a new organization that just popped up. Uh, they're actually connected to Ronan Pentest. Uh, Info-sec, S-E-C, for infosecurity.live. Uh, and they're setting up a community, uh, not only of people involved in the cybersecurity industry, but people who want to break into the cybersecurity industry. And they're doing all of these programs in order to teach people how to, to do cybersecurity better. And, and that's the kind of, of work that we need that needs to be done. And I, I'm really encouraged. And I'm seeing this more and more. I mean, that is that is the, the real plus side of the, the Black Hat Conference is because everybody is there talking about what they're doing and sharing these ideas. Uh, and e even to the point where uh, they're showing people how they are hacking somebody else. Uh, which is kind of the scary. That's how Black Hat started. It started with Black Hat hackers getting together, right. and 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 some somebody in the publishing industry said, "Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Let's buy this idea and actually make it legit." Uh, and you know, and the other thing too, it was it was brought up a couple of times in the discussions, and it's something I've been following for some time. But it's the idea of government uh, legislation to regulate this stuff, which might be a good idea if they do it right. I mean, one of the things that people keep talking about is uh, legislation that will make it illegal to pay ransom and ransomware. The thing is, is that whenever there is an absolute prohibition on doing something, it always makes the situation worse. So you need some nuance involved in this. And some people have said, well, maybe what we need to do is just ban the use of cryptocurrency to pay, uh, to pay off ransomware. 
which might not be a bad idea because ransomware actually precedes cryptocurrency. It goes all the way back to 1989. Uh, some guy uh, put a virus in a floppy disk and then uh, sold it as some sort of tool at a, at a conference. And that started locking down people's computers. And the guy made some good money at it until he got caught. <laughs> uh, but so it's been around for a long time. But if we do that, then we have another problem because let's say uh, a company uh, decides, uh, okay, we're going to obey the law and we're not going to pay, pay this ransom. And so what the, uh, the hackers do is they sell that information because that's the, that's the other thing that's happening is that, you know, we're going to shut down your computer and, and, and we'll give you an encryption key if, if you pay it this ransom. But at the same time, if they don't pay the ransom, they've got all your data and they can sell it. And right. if that happens, then the company comes into another problem. They come into a problem with the GDPR and the California uh, Consumer Privacy Act because there are specific fines. A, a company can, can be fined millions and millions of dollars if there is a breach of customer data on their system. So if we're going to find, to, to find companies for paying ransoms, we have to make sure that those fines are more than it would be if that data got leaked. Be, and and what's yeah interesting and what's what, what's more if you're going to make that illegal then companies are going to try and hide it so right. we could we could actually have a bigger problem that way that brings me to this issue one of the things that came out uh was a a, a session on the thing called the gpt-3 text generator and this is an artificial intelligence based tool that can produce content uh, from novels to news stories. And, you know, the whole idea is to, uh, that uh, you type in um, President Biden said today, and then what the AI will do, will go out into the internet and find press releases or anything else that's related to it. And we'll just start uh, writing the news story. But that's, the thing is- yeah, I, That sounds rather dangerous. I mean, it could, the, the context is important, right? You could just grab pieces of what was said at different places, different times, and slap it all together. But at the same, same time, you could, you could put together something that is completely fraudulent, completely yeah, fraudulent. We already know the problem that we have with fake news stories now. And I don't care what it is you decide, decide a, a fake news is, that is a problem. Finding a way to, to have accountability for the generation of news stories is important. But the funny thing is, is that just this morning, I got a, an email from a company that has an AI-based tool that will do all your marketing content for you. And they're selling this now. Because wow. in this particular uh, uh, presentation on the GPT-3, uh, they were saying it's not commercially available yet. So that gave me, I said, okay, that's good. But it's already in the marketing industry. Well, that's what I, yeah, that's what I was thinking. That, but yeah. So we're really close to this. So the the issue is, you know, and I I actually tried to write a book on the creation of ethical artificial intelligence tools. And after three months of research, I came to the de decision it can't be done, because as long as human beings are anywhere involved in the process of developing an AI, it, it's going to have bias to it. 
it can and be you've done. already uh, you already mentioned earlier that uh, there is no limit to the depravity. So uh, people could just as easily intentionally put bias in there and things of that nature. Right. And what I'm saying, based based on on the push to uh, to legislate on ransomware, I can see where we can have legislation that will be mandating the ethical use of AI by the same people who do not even know what a thumb drive is. Yeah, that's a scary thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to start seeing a bunch of legislation coming out pretty soon that I'm not sure is the right thing to do, but I don't know of any way to stop it. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, hopefully uh, some people are listening to this podcast. Yeah, you'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the story from Black Hat this this week. Um, that is quite a bit. Uh, thanks for catching me up. Bring me up at speed on all that. Yeah, and I recommend uh, if you want to hear more about this stuff, uh, go to Cyber Protection Magazine. Uh, that's cyberprotection-magazine.com. Uh, I'm going to be writing up articles about this over the next few weeks, uh, may, maybe even uh, posting some of the uh, actual audio from, from these, uh, uh, these talks, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, I will definitely be there, and I will look forward to uh, hearing the audio if you do put it up there. All right. So thanks for joining us, everyone. Thanks, Joe, for setting this up. And uh, this has been a Footwasher Media production.